We're going to continue our Seeds series. We've been going since, I think, uh, September or something like that And this one. And each week we've been taking just a little bit different of an angle. And this week we're taking another angle from Scripture because the Scripture has a lot to say about this topic and a variety of topics within it. And so Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 and 20, we see the voice of the Lord. And he's talking to the Israelite people who he, he called out of Egypt and now they've been in the wilderness for some time. It says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give them. So if you remember right, those of you guys who know the story, God brought them out of the people, brought the people out of Egypt. They'd been slaves there for 400 years. He brings them out. Moses, you know, if you've ever watched the movie Ten Commandments, you know, that's, it's somewhat like that, right? He brings them out of Egypt. And they were supposed to go into a promised land, a land that the Bible says is flowing with milk and honey. It just represents prosperity and the good life that God had for them. And they came out of it, and they didn't end up going there. They ended up wandering around. It was supposed to, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, I believe, that it was supposed to be an 11-day journey. It took them 40 years of wandering around, and they still hadn't got there yet. And so God lays out, and he reminds them of all the good things that he has for them. He said, there's a way of life, this way of prosperity, this way of good things, this good land that I have for you. And you get to choose. You get to choose life or death. You get to choose blessing or cursing. And he's giving, he's telling them what to choose. He's saying, choose life so that you may live. And it's, you know, he lays all this stuff out, out for them. And they'd been wandering around for 40 years. It's not that God didn't want them to step into it. It's rather that they had some choices to make. Have you ever wondered how many times we're waiting on God? But in actuality, God is actually waiting on us. I mean, how many times are we, we think we're waiting on God to do something? I mean, these Israelites, they thought in some way they were waiting on God. But in fact, God was actually waiting on them because there are choices that have to be made. And God gives us a choice. And I believe God has given us many choices today. And, you know, Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life, right? But even though Jesus is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, we still have to choose to walk in the way. We have to choose to live in the truth if we are to experience the life. It's not just something that automatically happens. There's a way of life. There's a way of death. But you get to choose. You go over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. It talks about this in a different way. All throughout 1 Peter chapter 1, it talks about being holy and living a godly life. And it says in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Here it is again, the truth that comes through Christ. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And, there, and it goes on, it says, the way you can do this is because, essentially what it's saying is since you've been, what, born again. The Bible talks a lot about being born again. Jesus talked to Nicodemus, I believe in John chapter 3, and he says, you must be born again. What does that mean? Well, it, we get a hint of it here. It says, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. 
What does that mean? Well, what this is talking about here is that there is a way of, that perishes, and there's a way that's imperishable. The perishable way goes all the way back to the bloodline of Adam. You remember what happened in the garden? All of us know the story that God created man in a perfect situation to be in relationship with him, but then what happened? Sin entered into the world. And sin entered into the bloodline of Adam as a, somewhat like a disease that was passed down through the bloodline. So that every single person that was born from the bloodline of Adam, that this disease of sin got passed all the way down through humanity. And so if you were born in the bloodline of Adam, you were born of a perishable seed, a seed that was leading to death because there was a disease called sin that was being passed in. Until Jesus came. You know, around this time we hear of the story of the virgin birth. Jesus came and he was, he was born of a virgin. Why? Part, one of the main reasons he was born of a virgin was so that he'd be born of humanity, but also interrupt the bloodline with pure bloodline. So that this bloodline that had been passed down through Adam was now broken in Jesus Christ. So that what used to be a perishable seed that was passed down through the bloodline now gets interrupted in Christ so that now there's an imperishable seed. So that if you choose to live from the imperishable seed, you will now be able to be born again and be able to walk in this new and living way. How many of you guys are thankful for that interruption, right? And so we have been born, we have been born again to this imperishable way, the way of Jesus. First Peter later on talks about this new, new and living way. What is happening? Jesus came, he interrupted the bloodline, and he allowed a new way to be human. You know, we talked a couple years ago about how in the Genesis chapter 1, you know, God said he created everything and he says what? It is good, right? Does anybody remember what the word is for good in Hebrew? Tov. He says it's tov over and over again. It's tov, it's tov, it's tov. Until sin came and it's, it's not tov anymore. It's not good. And so God has been re-toving the world ever since. He's been on a mission to make the world, and so he put this plan of Jesus in place and of a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth, but he starts by retoving humanity, by allowing us to enter into this new and living way. But do you realize that even as a believer, even though you've said yes to Jesus, even though you've been born again, you still have to choose to walk in that way. Because even though you are a believer, you can still choose to live from the old life if you want to. You can still choose to live from the bloodline of Adam. You can still choose to live a perishable way, even as a believer. It's not automatic. It's not, it doesn't mean your salvation's at risk by doing so. It just means that you can live out of the old sinful way if you choose to, even though you've been, had a new way that's been made through Jesus Christ. God gives us the power of choice. Perishable, imperishable. Bloodline of Adam, Bloodline of Jesus. The, the, another way the Bible says it in Romans chapter 8 is you can live from the spirit or you can live from the flesh. It's your choice. You can live your way or you can live the Jesus way. So how do we do that? How do we live from this imperishable seed? Well, there's another story in John chapter 12. Another example in verse 24. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... It remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. What's going on there? Telling us a picture, basic idea. You gotta have a seed, a grain of wheat, that falls into the earth, it gets buried, but in order for that seed to produce fruit, it has to die, and when it dies, then it begins to produce much fruit and to produce more fruit. 
We know that this is what it's talking about. There's a parable of this because it continues. It says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He's showing us a picture. If you want to live the imperishable life, if you want to live in the bloodline of Christ, how do we live the imperishable life? Well, interestingly enough, we perish. That's what happens. The Bible says if you want to live a born-again life, you you have to die. That means your way dies. That means your old life is gone. That means you, you have to perish And so I'll just say it this way. The path to life is not preservation, but resurrection. So many of us right now, we're trying to preserve our life. Whenever you try to hold on to your life, you're living from the perishable seed, ironically. You're living out of the bloodline of Adam. Whenever you're trying to preserve your life, you're living from the old way. But if you want to live in the new way, then there's, it's not preservation, it's actually resurrection. There's a death, burial, and a resurrection for you to have. And, and listen, to, for us to live this, how many of you guys know you have to do this daily at times, right? In fact, Jesus is the one who said that you need to take up your cross daily. Now, hopefully, as you've been following Jesus for a while, you take up your cross, and the cross starts to feel a little more familiar. You start to get used to taking up your cross. And hopefully, you've been following Jesus for a long time, and the Spirit of God is at work in you, and so your desires start to change, and so you want to go through the process of death, burial, and resurrection. You want to die to the old self. And so it doesn't necessarily get easier, but it does get more familiar the more you practice following in the way of Jesus. But I want you to understand, you still have to choose to walk in the path of life. Even as a believer, you still have to walk. And and that path is many times uphill. Many times that path, you know, it's a narrow way. It's it's like climbing up a mountain. It can be tough at times to to climb up that mountain, that narrow path. And I told you guys a couple weeks ago, we went to Colorado, and I just love climbing mountains. Any mountain people in here, let's just see who I'm talking to, and then I'll preach to the rest of you guys by faith, and you'll get it. But, but I love climbing mountains, and, and I would just climb them all day if I could, but we had a big group out there, and so we, you know, all different skill levels and all this type of stuff, and some people climbed mountains, a lot of mountains, other people not so much, and so we all wanted to go on a big hike, and and it was a pretty moderate hike, and so we got this group together, and my role at that point, my mission was just to get everybody to the top of the mountain. Like, that was my goal. Like, if it was just me, I'd just, I'd just hoof it up there, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to get everybody up there, and so we're, we're going along, and we're taking a lot of breaks, and it, it's actually rough. I mean, there's like boulders and snow and ice and stuff, and, and you could have used some of those spikes and stuff, but we didn't have any of those, and man, we are working. We're, we're we're, you know, breathing heavy and stuff, and we're stopping along the way. And, but I was just finding joy and just trying to get everybody up the mountain. This is hard. Let's get everybody up the mountain. I was like living my secret dream of being like a Mount Everest Sherpa or something like that. And I mean, we got, and we got up to the top, and it was hard to get up to the top. Was it worth it? Yes, it was worth it. Because once you get up there, man, it is just beautiful. But we're tired. I mean, we're all just sitting there around, and we're, you know, everybody's tired. Isn't it amazing? Have you ever had this experience where you did something really hard like that? You're climbed, you climbed up a really difficult mountain, and then when you go back down, it's as if you never climbed any mountain at all, right? 
It's like, because the downhill is like such a different experience, right? It's like totally different. I mean, uphill, you feel like, I don't even know if I can go any further. And then all of a sudden, downhill, like you're passing people and, and you're like so happy they're struggling and everything. And they're like asking how far it is. You're like, oh, you're almost there. And you're lying to them, you know, because you got lied to on the way up most, most of the time, right? And, but it's so different on the downhill. And so I thought it'd just be fun just to show you so a, a one-minute montage of our downhill that I captured on the way down from this difficult hike. Here it is. One minute. It's, here we go. What's going on back there? say Merry Christmas to Glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders, wonders of his love. And shout it out with glee, yippee! You can achieve. What is happening? <laughs> Woo, look at that. So much different on the way downhill is what I'm trying to say. So much different. Like all these people are just exhausted and all of a sudden now we're just, this is a totally different experience. And I show you that because we tend to think that following Jesus should all be downhill. Don't we? And we think when we're following Jesus, it should all be not like that, but like that, right? And so what happens is we tend to seek downhill. Because there's something inside of us that think we owe, we're owed downhill. But following the way, the Bible says is narrow at times, right? What is it saying there? Saying it's not all downhill. It's not all just singing songs, it's, you know, living in the truth is painful sometimes, isn't it? When you have to make difficult decisions, when you have to stand up for what's right, when you have to do something that's hard, standing for truth, it's painful at times. Resurrection is a wonderful, pro it's a wonderful thing, right? Resurrection. But the process is painful, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Everybody loves a resurrection, but think about the process, the process is you die. Resurrection's great. Celebrate. We all want a resurrection. But the process is painful. So anything other than the way God sees something is a lie. I want you to think about this. Anything other than anything that's contrary to God's way is actually a lie. And so let me just say it this way. You can choose to walk in a painful truth or you can choose to walk in a comfortable lie. You can choose to walk in painful truth or a comfortable lie. And there, you're gonna be faced with the choice. See, God gives us a choice. 
He says, choose life. There's times when we have to choose between a painful truth, something that is uphill. You know, the truth can be uphill at times, right? Or a comfortable lie. But just just because it's a lie, you know, sometimes we think that lie, well, we would recognize a lie. No, lies can be very, very comfortable. Let me give you just some examples. Everybody, it's different for everybody, but I'll just throw out some to kind of get you going a little bit how, how it's possible for us to live in a comfortable lie. Comfortable lie is at times when we assign bad intentions to other people just because it makes us feel better about our, our intentions towards them. That's a comfortable lie. It may not be true, but it makes us feel comfortable to be there. The truth is much harder to live out. The truth is harder for us to face the fact that maybe we just got some stuff in our heart we need to deal with. It's a whole lot easier for us to live in a comfortable lie to make up something in our mind that makes us feel better. And every one of us do it all the time, right? We do it. Comfortable lie. A comfortable lie can be when we allow our experiences to dictate our theology. Maybe we have a bad experience, and so then we begin to change our theology just a little bit from Scripture because it's a lot more comfortable to live that way. Rather than let, you know, because, and the reason why is because we, we know the truth, but our experiences haven't caught up with the truth just yet. And so we're tempted to live a little bit more comfortably and just a little bit less than the truth. Anything a little bit less than the truth is a lie. Another area that we're tempted to live in a comfortable lie is when we let culture set right and wrong instead of the word of God. It's a whole lot easier just to allow to be comfortable, like, ah, man, I don't really want to stand. Because why? If you stand up for truth, isn't that painful to stand up for truth? And so it's always just a little bit easier to, to slide over into a little bit more of a comfortable lie. But you get to choose. You get to choose if you live in a comfortable truth or a painful truth or a comfortable lie. Let me give you another one. It's when we say something like this, I'm not qualified to serve God in big ways. That's for other people. That's a comfortable lie. How many, I mean, do you think about the list of people who tried that in Scripture? Let's just start off with Moses, right? He tried that. He's like, I'm not qualified. It was way more comfortable for Moses to live in a comfortable lie than for him to stand up into the painful truth and to, to do some hard things. And so I don't know what lie you might be sitting in today, but my guess is that Satan has made it pretty comfortable for you. Because if it wasn't comfortable, you might not be there. See, he, he, wants to, he wants to make you comfortable in a lie. And so you get to choose truth or a lie. But whatever you choose, if you choose a lie, it doesn't make it not a lie just because you chose it. <laughs> it just means you chose it. And so let me just say it this way. The, the truth may produce temporary pain, but it brings long-term freedom. The lie may produce temporary comfort, but it brings long-term bondage. You choose. And I can just hear the voice of God. I know it's a strong word today. I can hear the voice of God saying, which one do you want? You got life and death, blessing and cursing, truth, lie. Which one do you want? The truth is going to be painful. Let me say it again. The truth may bring, it may be, it, there may be temporary pain for standing up for what's right. There may be temporary pain for, for doing the hard thing. There may be temporary pain for living in God's truth over your own preference. But it brings you long-term freedom. But, and there may be temporary comfort. Oh, no doubt, living in a lie is going to be temporary comfort. It's a, it's a seduction that way. But it's, it brings long-term 
bondage. You get to choose. The Israelites, they went out. Remember, they, they sent out spies into the land 40 years earlier, under, or 40 years before the wilderness wandering. They, they sent out spies into the land. And they saw what? They saw walls, the walls of Jericho. They saw giants. And they like, this is too painful. Let's stay back where it's comfortable. They thought by staying back where it's comfortable, they'd have more freedom. But it actually led them into 40 years of bondage. And I'm just wondering, my heart today is for us is to say, I don't want us to live in more bondage, wandering around the same mountain when it's, man, if it's only an 11-day journey, let's get on with it, right? Let's get through it. Let's break through into freedom. But let's not wander around for 40 more years just because we think it's going to be more comfortable or just because it's temporarily more comfortable. And so then 40 years pass. Then God gives this word. He's like, choose life. It's about time, guys. Choose life. And then God raises up a Joshua. What was different about Joshua and his spies versus the others? Well, I believe there's a key distinction that we need to get. One last video. Let's watch. Take a look. So what was it that separated Joshua from the whole generation before that had just wandered around in the wilderness? Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. Why? Because there was a wall, a big wall all the way around it. I mean, there were houses built into the wall, like, you know, towers, all sorts of stuff. It was a pretty formidable scene. It says, and then, then God says to Joshua, he says, See... I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city and all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up everyone straight before him. So when God asks him to see, he says, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. What did Joshua actually see? Well, in reality, in the natural, what he saw was essentially a brick wall, a stone wall. And so I want you to get this image. I want you to see this stone wall, this brick wall, because that's what Joshua was seeing with his natural eyes. But God was asking him not to see with his natural eyes, but to see with something else, his faith eyes. Remember, what God sees is truth and everything else is a mirage. And so when God sees walls and giants, he sees freedom. When he sees safety and security, he sees bondage. And so I believe God is asking us today, what do you see? When you look at your situation, what do you see? When you look at yourself, what do you see? When you look at God, what do you see? When you look at other people, what do you see? Because how you see things matters. You ever see one of those like pictures that you're supposed to stare at it for a long time. And then when you stare at it for a long time, it's like, there's a whole other picture inside. I do that. Sometimes I like stare forever. And then finally what happens whenever the, the real picture emerges, it's like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. I can see it now. See in your situation, in your relationship, in yourself, there's a picture within the picture. And God wants you to see the picture within the picture because God what he sees is ultimate, really ultimate reality, but you get to choose what you see. So here's the question for us. What do you see? You're looking at whatever it is, relationship, strained relationship, looking at your future, looking at your finances, looking at your, your business, looking at your calling, ministry. 
hopes, dreams, kids, whatever it is. What do you see? What I believe God is saying to us today is there is a picture within the picture. But you have to see with your faith eyes to be able to see it. But how you see matters. If you want to experience freedom in any area of your life, your, your level of freedom is connected to your level of repentance. Now, let's define repentance. Remember, I've shared this many, many times. Repentance is not just changing what we're doing. It's not just changing our behavior. It's not just changing our thinking. Repentance is actually changing the way that we think. I, let me put it this way. Repentance is actually lining up our thoughts with the way God thinks. Lining up the way we see things with the way God sees things is ultimate repentance. So there should be no shame or stigma about repentance. Repentance should actually be the most celebrated thing when we come in line with the way God thinks and sees. And so if you repent, that, man, that, that's, that's just, that's a celebrated thing. I think we have such a, a, a dark, you know, a darkness almost around the word repentance because we think, oh, you know, shame on you for, for needing to repent. No, it should be celebrated that my thinking is now coming in line with God's thinking, that the way I see is now lining up with the way God sees. That's ultimate humility, by the way. It's not making ourselves really, really low. Humility is trading my thoughts for God's thoughts. And sometimes I don't think smaller thoughts, I think bigger thoughts. And so what happens right now, if you're looking at a wall in the natural, what you need to do is realize that everything that God thinks is true and everything else is a mirage. And so what does God say about this thing that I see as a wall in the natural? And if God says there's a way instead of a wall, then you line up your mind and your thoughts with his way, not your way. That's humility. That's repentance. So your level of freedom is directly connected to your level and your ability and your willingness to be able to repent or to line up your way of seeing with God's way of seeing. And the Israelites for 40 years couldn't do that. But then there was a guy named Joshua who came along and he started to see not walls and giants, but he started seeing milk and honey. The question is, what do you see? So let me start by asking you this question. How do you see yourself? Because maybe some of you are struggling with your value, your purpose, or your place. Maybe you feel like what you're doing is insignificant in this season. Luke chapter 22, verse 24, a dispute arose among them, among the disciples, as to which one of them was going to be regarded the greatest. This is at the Last Supper, by the way. They're kind of, you ever have kids argue at important dinner times? You know, this is what's happening. And he said to them, Jesus said, the kings and the Gentiles, they exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader is one who serves. What is he saying? The kingdom of God is right side up. It may be different than you think, but it's right side up. And so if you're struggling, maybe in this season that you're in, you're like, I don't know if I'm making a difference. I don't know if I have value. I'm just doing this or that or the other. Can I just tell you that some of the most godly people that I know are not, they, I don't see them on a stage. I see them fixing up widows' houses behind the scenes. I see them adopting orphans. I see them serving in our kids' ministry. I see them share, you know, hear stories of them sharing their faith with no one else would, would even know. But see, you have to have God's eyes to be able to see that. Because in the natural, we just lift everything up as what's, what's great, as what's, what's visible, Right? But see, if you want to experience real freedom in Christ, it's when my thinking begins to align with his thinking and my eyes line up with his eyes. How do you see yourself? 
Because God's reality is truth, not man's. All right, let me give you another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he says it this way as he does many of his letters. He opens up. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And so he talks to a lot of people as if they are saints, you know? And then we think, well, he was just talking to them. Well, we clearly know that he wasn't because we just got to keep reading. He says, called to be saints, you Corinthians, but you are also saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. How you see yourself matters. Do you see yourself as just a sinner barely saved by grace? Or do you see yourself as a saint who sometimes sins? If you're struggling with sin and you're just over here like, I'm just a sinner, I'm just barely just saved by grace, well, that's not what, that's not what the Bible calls you. The Bible says you are a saint. Yes, you will sin from time to time. And some of you guys might struggle with it more than others. But your identity is that you are a saint. But you have to, how you see yourself matters. Because you can live from a sinner idea, identity or you can live from a saint identity. You choose. Life or death. How you see yourself matters. Let me give you another one. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. It says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. What does that mean? That means when you were of the bloodline of Adam, guess what? You were chained up to sin. And as much as you tried to do right, it was hard to do what was right because you were chained to sin. But since you have been set free and now you've come into the, the bloodline of Jesus Christ, you have been unchained from the identity of being a sinner, but you've also been chained up over here to becoming, uh, to come chained to righteousness. So that yes, you do sin from time to time, but since you are living from this identity, it's harder for you to sin. But it all depends on how you see yourself. Because you're going to live from the chain to sin identity or you're going to live from the chain to righteousness identity. But how you see yourself matters. You're going to live from the perishable seed or the imperishable. All right, let me give you, give you another one. I don't know if some of you guys are convinced just yet, but we're going to keep going. Chip it away just a little bit more. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 through 39 says, Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure neither death nor life nor angels or rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all of creation, about covers it all, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at that first line. It says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Here's the question for you. Are you a victim or are you a victor? Because some of us are over here and we are seeing ourselves in the eyes of being not more than a conqueror, but a victim to our circumstance, a victim to the relationship, a victim to our, our job, our victim to the, whatever it is. And we're seeing through that identity. But the Bible says that's not who you are. You are actually more than a conqueror. You're over here. You're a saint. You are over here. You are not a victim. You are a victor. You are an overcomer. But you get to choose. You get to choose which side you live from. 
And it because here's the thing, it doesn't matter if you have access to truth. If you're not living from truth, then you're not experiencing the truth. Every one of us who are in Christ have access to live from this identity. But if just because you have access doesn't mean you're actually applying that truth. And what, what I'm saying here is we're getting ready to wrap up, but sometimes it's more comfortable to live over here. Sometimes it's more comfortable to live from I'm just a sinner barely saved. There's a comfort in that. Sometimes there's a comfort in living from this I'm just chained to sin. You know, what can I help? I'm just human. So it's more comfortable to live there. Sometimes it's more comfortable to live as a victim. Well, you know, it just, it just, it's just the way it's always been. It's the way it always will be. What I'm saying is if you want to live in God's truth, it may cost you a death and a burial of this way of thinking. The seed has to fall to the ground and die. That there has to be a daily, and sometimes daily resurrection, because you wake up and you feel like this, but you die to self, you let the grain fall. You die to yourself, it goes to the ground, and you wake up, and it doesn't matter how you feel, it doesn't matter what happened that day, you remind yourself of the truth of the word of God, and it is very painful to do that day after day when your experience doesn't line up with your natural reality. But see, you can choose to live in a painful truth or you can choose to live in a comfortable lie. This brings long-term freedom, but it's painful in the process. Resurrection's beautiful, but it's a painful process. This brings temporary comfort, but you're gonna be there for another 40 years. You're gonna be wandering around for another 40 years. It's gonna cost you something to live in the I mean, you get to choose. Way of Adam, way of Jesus. Way of death, the way of life. Perishable or imperishable, but you get to choose. You get to choose walls and giants or milk and honey. But you get to choose. So the worship team, if they can come back up, I'm gonna tell you one last story about this thing that happened in Jericho. And many of you guys know this story, but some of you guys may not. There was actually, when they sent the spies in, the Joshua's spies, they came in and they, they found this lady that was in there who didn't like where she was at. She didn't like living the perishable life. And she wanted to enter into the imperishable life. And so she made a deal with the spies. She said, I, I, I don't want to go this other way, but if you guys will spare me, and my family, I'll hide you away and I'll spare you. And so they made a deal and they said, all right, when we come back to take the city, you tie a scarlet rope, or a, a, a rope out the window and everybody who's in your house will be spared. Sure enough, they come, they march around the walls seven times, the walls fall flat. They come in and they take everything, but they spare her life and she integrates in from the perishable life to the imperishable. She ends up marrying a guy named Salmon. She has a son and uh, she begins to train him up and to raise him up in the ways of God. And his name was Boaz. She named her son Boaz. Many of you guys will recognize that name. It's, it's the same Boaz from the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth is one of the greatest literary works of all time. And Boaz became a kinsman redeemer in the likes of Jesus. Like he represents that, that sacrificial redemption of Ruth. It's a story we don't have time to get all into, but... But his mom was that lady. Well, we find out, we know her name, but we, we, we see her name obviously in the story. But then we also see her name in the New Testament. If you go over to Matthew chapter one, this is actually in the lineage of Jesus Christ. 
this laying out the lineage. And it says this in verse five, and Salmon, that's her husband, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute in that day. She was living the perishable life. But she said, I wanna leave this bloodline and I wanna enter into this bloodline. And she literally did enter into the bloodline of Jesus Christ. She becomes one of the heroes of the faith listed in Hebrews chapter 11 because of a choice that she made to not live from the bloodline of Adam, but the bloodline of Jesus Christ. And so what I'm, I'm pleading for us today is that by revelation of the Holy Spirit, maybe there are areas of our life right now where we have been choosing death over life. We've been choosing victim over victor. We've been choosing sinner over saint, chained to sin over chained to righteousness. We've been choosing a way that's walls and giants instead of milk and honey. What I'm saying is there's a picture within the picture. Could we have eyes to see it today? Could we repent today by simply lining up our way of seeing with God's way of seeing? And so would you stand up with me as we take just a moment to do that? How do you see God right now? How do you see yourself? How do you see other people? How do you see your situation? Do you see the brick wall? Or do you see the picture within the picture? Lord, we come before you right now. And I just pray for every single one of us. Help us by revelation to be able to see what you see. Come on, let's just ask the Holy Spirit right now. Is there anything you want me to see right now? Is there anything I need to see? Because whatever God sees is truth and everything else is a mirage. Holy Spirit, would you help us to see the picture within the picture? Would you help us to be able to see our true identity? Would you help us to be able to see our situation through your eyes, which is ultimate reality, is what you see. And if you say there's a path, there's a path. If you say there's a way, there's a way. If you say there's restoration, there's restoration. If you say there's a healing, there's a healing. Because whatever you say is truth. And so we line up our thinking, our thought life, our heart, our soul, our attention, our adoration. We say, may it be in line with you and the way you are, the way you think. Lord, I just speak freedom for every person here. Let freedom come. The 40 years stops now. And I just see somebody just stepping over the boundary line that has been the barrier for 40 years into new property. Just stepping over the boundary line. Because the wandering is over and the freedom has come. And I just declare that in Jesus' name. Let's worship him.